It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. Hope it is blue skies where you are because it is not where I am. The phone number, 877-973-7425. As always, if you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you can get the show links for the live stream, the podcast, the show notes, you name it. Uh, we have to begin with some news that broke overnight. The former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, looks to be headed towards a uh, presidential run. He is forming a super PAC. Uh, well, it, it's some outside groups. So uh, Scott Reed, who used to be with the U.S. Chamber, Jeb Henserling, a friend of mine, he's a former congressman from Texas. Actually, Jeb Henserling, very first federal politician I ever gave money to when I was a fledgling lawyer, uh, the Club for Growth pitched me on becoming a Club for Growth member. And one of the guys that I was intrigued by was this guy from Texas who was running for Congress. His name was Jeb Henserling. Didn't know him from Adam. Uh, first person I ever gave money to as a federal candidate. And he got elected, was a great congressman, has retired. Uh, Bobby Sapporo uh, managed Governor Brian Kemp's re-election campaign in Georgia. He and Henserling and Scott Reed are putting this super PAC together for Mike Pence, which suggests he's going to run. Pence is giving uh, speeches in Iowa and New Hampshire. The super PAC is going to be called Committed to America. Now, you got to understand some stuff about Mike Pence. First of all, I need to give you a real disclosure here. Mike Pence is a friend. Uh, you're going to be hard-pressed for me to say anything critical of Mike Pence. He is a real friend. In fact, I was with the vice president a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> he was in Atlanta at Church of the Apostles. He was giving his testimony. And to give you a sense of, of the relationship, uh, I went and spoke to him after it was over. I'm trying to get him to come to my conference in August. He's got a scheduling conflict, and I'm hoping he can work around the scheduling conflict to get there. Uh, I'm going to have Haley and Scott and DeSantis. I'd really like to have Pence there as well. Um, so we're talking about that, but then he says, more importantly, how, how's Christy, my wife? Um, and he says, her scans have got to be coming up. Now, she has scans every three months, uh, but he knew enough to know that the scans must be coming up because he remembered when she was last on the prayer list was the last time she had scans three months ago. So he knew, got to be recent. Um, when the, He's one of the people, when he says he'll pray for you, he really is praying for you. He and his wife are super people. Pence is going to have to answer a question very few of the other candidates have to answer. Uh, Nikki Haley, to some degree, will have to answer, but it's really will be an answer for Mike Pence, and I'm very curious to see his answer, but it's an obvious question 
that will have to be asked when he gets in the race. And that is this. Why you instead of your boss? Why go when Donald Trump is running for a second term? Why pick Donald Trump's running mate over Donald Trump? And I, I, I think it's a fair question that he's going to have to answer. I have no doubt his team has an answer for it. I'm curious to see what it is. Mike Pence started out as a talk radio show host. I'm a little biased there to begin with. We got a talk radio show host running. Every time I see him, he wants to know about my ratings. They're still very great, Mr. Vice President, if you're wondering. Um, but he he uh, started a think tank in Indiana, ran for Congress, wasn't successful, ran again, was very successful. Stayed in the House of Representatives, ran the Republican Study Committee. That's how I got to know Mike Pence. When my friend started Red State and put me in charge of it, and Red State kind of exploded onto the scene in the early 2000s, I one day got a package in the mail, and it was um, Russell Kirk's The Conservative Mind. Still have it. Mike Pence pinned a note in the front of it. Dear Eric, if you're going to be a leader in the conservative movement, be sure what you believe. I can quote it verbatim. That's what I like about Mike Pence is you know what you're getting. Mike Pence is a conservative. He is philosophically a conservative. He is a Christian. He is guided by his faith. So you're not going to be surprised with positions Mike Pence stakes. He may surprise you with the positions he focuses on, Like, if you go back to George W. Bush, PEPFAR was something that people wouldn't have considered a Republican president would take care of, but George Bush, guided by his faith, wanted to do what he could to benefit Africa. It has become the most successful uh, U.S. policy ever deployed on the African continent to to eradicate AIDS from the continent. It has been remarkable. Uh, And it was something you knew where George Bush stood on the issue. You just didn't know which issues he was going to tackle. They surprised people, but he did so because he was guided by his convictions, in particular his faith. And and that's something I like about Mike Pence is you may be surprised of the issue he focuses on, but you'll know when he gets to that issue the way he lands because of his faith and because of his conservative convictions. He's very Reagan-esque in that regard. He's got a pro-America foreign policy. He stands with Ukraine because he recognizes Russia is the bad guy. Russia has been the bad guy, and Russia is not going to suddenly become the good guy. He's pro-life, unabashedly so. One area where conservatives have criticized Pence in the past is in Indiana as governor. He uh, authored the, or he supported the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and then kind of walked back his support and forced some changes because the business community started rattling sabers. And there are a lot of conservative evangelicals to this day who will bring up the fact they thought he sold them out on it. But Mike Pence, I think, learned his lesson from that uh, and sees more and more that a lot of business interests in this country have gone so far left, so woke. Uh, that you got to stand for your convictions and you can't compromise those convictions. And as he was vice president of the United States, he used his convictions to whisper in the president's ear and try to steer the president towards sound policy, which I think a lot of the successes of the Trump administration reflect Mike Pence's wise counsel. 
I really like the guy. And on January 6, 2021, there was inordinate pressure on Mike Pence to try to disrupt the proceedings of the United States Congress and stop the counting of the Electoral College. People stormed into the Capitol. They had built gallows. There were chants of hang Mike Pence. And Mike Pence stood firm. And there, my friends, is the Mike Pence that I know. The Mike Pence who is my friend is the Mike Pence who's not going to look at polls to tell him what to do. He's going to know what to do because of his character and his convictions. Now, there are a lot of people out there, a lot of DeSantis supporters in particular, who say, well, this is nuts. This guy has no chance. Look at the polling. Look at DeSantis's polling right now. There are a lot of people who say Mike Pence is just one more person. He has no shot. It's between DeSantis and Trump. You know, I agree that the race right now appears to be between DeSantis and Trump. It does. That's the reality, that DeSantis is the alternative. And I admit there's a hill for Mike Pence to climb because he will be running against the man who made him vice president, who picked him as vice president, and he'll have to say, why me? Why not my boss? But a Republican Party that can't welcome Mike Pence into a Republican primary to have a battle of ideas and convictions and character is a Republican Party none of us should want to be a part of because Mike Pence for a long time was the intellectual voice of the conservative movement. Mike Pence was the guy everyone else relied on to figure out what we should do. Mike Pence is the guy who stood on the ramparts and directed the people of where to go and how to get there within the conservative movement. And many of the great conservative gains the Republican Party has gotten over the last 20 years when Mike Pence were in was in Congress came because Mike Pence was there as the head of the Republican Study Committee and so much more. Mike Pence moved into leadership out of the Republican Study Committee. Some conservatives felt betrayed by him for doing that, but actually what Mike Pence was able to do as a member of the leadership was to steer that leadership towards greater accommodation of the Republicans who considered themselves conservative, who cared about the size and scope of the federal government, who wanted to rein in the spinning of government at a time a lot of Republicans did not want to rein it in as long as they were in charge, Mike Pence got him to rein it in. And the other thing about Mike Pence, and this is something that some people hold as a stain on his character and I think makes him a great man, is that Democrats do not like him. They do not like his convictions or his policies, but they know they can trust him. And so when push comes to serve and compromise must be had, they know that if Mike Pence gives them his word on something, his word is good. And that's something all of us should want in our politicians uh, in Washington and the states is someone who you can trust, someone who says when they're going to do something, they're going to do it. He's unabashedly pro-life. Donald Trump is wavering now on pro-life legislation in the country, a 15-week abortion ban at the federal level polls very well. A majority of Americans, men and women, support a 15-week abortion ban as a reasonable compromise on abortion. Donald Trump says he's not so sure. Mike Pence says do it. God bless him. Says it's a good starting point. 
Mike Pence also understands the dynamics with China and a strong defense in this country. Mike Pence has a son serving our nation in the military. And having a son being in the military, you know, obviously he's going to be cautious about how he deploys American power, but he's not going to be afraid to use it because he understands that the United States is the last best hope for mankind. He's a real patriot. He loves this country. He loves the heartland. I just genuinely like him. I like his wife. She's been a school teacher. Uh, she's worked at a Christian school in D.C., very similar to the one we send our kids to. She got criticism. Remember, there were folks on CNN who believed that because the school she teaches at is a Christian school where you got to be a Christian to go there, that the Secret Service should not provide her protection. Mike Pence understands the nature of religious liberty in this country and how it's under assault. He understands the hostility towards people of faith in this country from people in the media, from people in government, from, from people at large, from activists. Yes, there will be people who say uh, the stage is not big enough for DeSantis and Haley and Scott and Pence and Trump. And why Pence? Why not Trump? Uh, Why not Pence? We're going to have a lot of people who want to be president of the United States on that stage. Only one of the people on that debate stage will get the nomination. And they're great candidates. I I really, I don't know Ron DeSantis. He's the only one running who I don't know. And I'm impressed with him. I know Nikki Haley. She's a family friend. I know Tim Scott very well. He's a nice guy. He's a convictional conservative Christian as well. But if the stage doesn't have room For the intellectual guiding light of the conservative movement who served as governor of Indiana, vice president of the United States, is intrinsically connected to the heartland and the convictions that made America great. And a guy like Mike Pence, I I don't think that the party is the party that it has always claimed to be. So I welcome Mike Pence into the race. God bless him. Win or lose, his voice is necessary as reflecting so many conservatives for so long as being the guy who helped give voice to the ideas of the conservative movement, Mike Pence should be in the race. And whether Mike Pence wins or loses, I assure you this, he will continue to be an intellectual force to be reckoned with within the right, but having that intellectual force on stage at a Republican debate saying this is right, this is wrong, and it's a matter of not just conservatism, but of faith and conviction, that's sort of the guy the Republican Party should have on stage, particularly when the front runner is a guy who we all kind of agree doesn't have the greatest character, even if we got policies we like from him. Having someone who's a part of giving us those great policies but also has the courage of convictions and the character to count, that's why you need Mike Pence there. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets. The highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness. 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference. And I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Branch sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something, a substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot during the 
during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Boland Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews. Right now, get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. Reach out to them if you're looking for $750,000 or more for your business to buy a business, buy a building, build a building, buy a franchise, buy out your business partners. They might be able to help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, I want to go to the phones. Lon, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Eric. You know, a couple of minutes ago, you were talking about the uh, CO2 or carbon capture fiasco that's going on. Well, it's alive and well up in the upper Midwest. Uh, To our detriment, we're not happy about this. But there's a company called uh, Summit Carbon Solutions. They're in Ames, Iowa. And they're proposing to take CO2 emissions from 32 different ethanol plants in the upper Midwest in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, Nebraska, and North Dakota, take all this CO2, put it in pipelines, and send it 2,000 miles, a 2,000-mile-long pipeline, and sequester it in the ground up in the center of North Dakota forever. And for this, the federal government taxpaying population will be paying uh, them with 45Q tax credits to, uh, at $85 a metric ton, and they're proposing 12 to 18 million metric tons per year, so it's well over a billion dollars in taxpayer-funded money to uh, reward them for taking this CO2 and putting it in the ground forever. And on top of that, they have drawn a line on a map across these five states and said, this is where our pipeline is going. And if you don't voluntarily allow us to put this pipeline there, we will take your land with eminent domain. And this is happening right now, today, in all of those five states. They're getting massive pushback from residents and landowners in all these states. And even so, um, they have so far apparently they say, acquired about 50% or 80, 50 to 60% of the route with easements that they claim they got voluntarily. But when you threaten a man with eminent domain right, and you offer him an upfront lease, I don't see how that's any voluntarily, um, you know, partnering with, it, with a landowner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, you is, know, this is it, happening to our family's farm as well. I mean, we are personally involved, and they're running these pipes now, people are going to laugh at this, and they're going to say, Bismarck, North Dakota? Well, is that a town? <laughs> well, it's actually a yeah. pretty nice town. It's got a hundred and some thousand people in it, and they're running this pipeline four miles outside of that town. Grief. Look, Ilan, i, I got to let you go there because I've got about 15 seconds here. But, yeah, the, the, I mean, we're not allowed to build pipelines to move oil and gas, but to move carbon dioxide that could leak and kill people without even people noticing it happening. Good gracious, this is absolutely insane. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Phone number 877-973-7425. This just in to the show. I'm not making this up. 
I'm not even going to tell you who it is. You'll be able to figure it out. This is an exchange in the Senate Banking Committee with the former CEO of Silicon Valley Bank and a senator asking the questions. Is, is it staggering? Is it a staggering responsibility that, a, that, that the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like, and, and they also realize is that, that, that now they have, it's in a guaranteed, a guaranteed way to be saved by, again, by no matter, no matter by, by how, you know? So it's, it's, you know, isn't it appropriate that the, those kinds of, this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going? Or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank, regardless of how, how there's, their conduct is? You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for SNAP. You know, for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, required. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank you, with billions of your bank? Because they seem to be more pre preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about protecting the tax, the taxpayers, you know, that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it. That's unedited. Charlie, right. Yeah. Charlie saying it's that's so painful. That's John Fetterman, Senator from Pennsylvania. Beat Dr. Oz. Uh, had the stroke. You know, people say all the time, how could this guy get elected? Um, I, I, you know, you forget that John Fetterman was already elected to statewide office. The people of Pennsylvania were very familiar with him before he had a stroke, which is why they decided they liked him better than Dr. Oz. And, and his campaign kept him very guarded until the very end. Most of the early vote was already cast before John Fetterman uh, went public. Hang on a little more. Again, asking a question. The CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. Like Because every, every bank, you seem like that, that crashed. It's like, hey, we, we could bail him out. Yeah, this one, you know, you know, crashed. We'll 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 bail them out. So far, everything's been true. So doesn't it feel that the, now, if a bank really believed that they wouldn't be bailed out, now after bailing them out, these couple of bailouts, they are going to. Do you believe that that is not outrageous? That no matter how how deplorable your performance is, you are made as whole, and all by 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 test test papers. So what do you what do you believe? What if, what if, they, what if, what if the, we didn't come out and bail out your bank? What would have happened? Oh my gosh. So Senator, I would answer the question two ways. One is I think when people mostly talk about what you just said, it's talking about shareholders and our shareholders. <laughs> Poor man. This is, this is like, he's like the, the, I see somebody refer to this is like the court appointed attorney. And my cousin Vinny, um, holy moly, uh, <laughs> I feel awful for laughing, but oh my gosh, the look, y'all can't see the look on the CEO's face, but imagine the look of a deer in the middle of a highway. 
He's got a train coming across the tracks next door, a bear up behind him, and he's got two dude, two rednecks in a pickup truck with their shotguns. <laughs> and the deer's like, where do I go? I can't. <laughs> this poor CEO, his eyes look like they were about to pop out of his head with, with this. Oh my gosh, I feel horrible for laughing, but dude wanted the job. He's got the job. He, he could have stepped away and told the Democrats, find somebody else or hand it to Dr. Oz, but no, no, he wanted it. He, he wanted to be the spectacle. His wife pushed him into it, and there he is. He's going to have to deal with it. The, the man can't make a cogent point. I, Wow. Yeah, so uh, listener Chris emails in and says, can you imagine a conversation between John Fetterman and Hank Johnson? That's the Georgia congressman who thinks that the island of Guam could tip over, like literally physically tip over if you had too many people on it. Oh, my gosh. What a what a nightmare disaster. Wow. Okay, we, we got to move on because we do have to move beyond politics. I know there's life outside of politics. Sometimes we've got to cover it. This is the headline from the Morning Brew. Consumer debt balloons to historic high. If you've been dropping plastic a lot and hoping it'll take care of itself later, join the club. Yesterday, the New York Fed released its first quarter report on household debt. Findings include a record high debt level of $17 trillion dollars persistent credit card debt, and rising delinquency rates. A typical first quarter sees credit card balances decline as people pay off what they spent over the holidays while trying to outgift their in-laws. But for the first time since the New York Fed started tracking this 20 years ago, that isn't the case, according to bank rate senior industry analyst Ted Rossman. Instead, balances remained flat over quarter one, suggesting people aren't cutting back and are probably using credit cards to finance daily spending due to the rising cost of pretty much everything. It's not just that credit card balances are flat. Delinquency is rising, as is the intimidating older brother, serious delinquency, which is when a debt is 90 days or more past due. The Fed report showed that 4.5% of credit card debt transitioned to seriously delinquent last quarter, up from 3.04% in quarter one of 2022. As for credit card holders age 18 to 29, 8.3% of balances were in serious delinquency. Auto delinquencies are higher now. Mortgage debt increased. Student debt saw a slight decrease, but that has more to do with repayments being paused. This is a very big warning sign because of another headline that happened today. Home Depot just forecast weak consumer demand. It was a pretty bad earnings report for Home Depot. Its share fell 5% in pre-market trading this morning. It's just bad. The chief financial officer, Richard McPhail, said customers are buying fewer big-ticket items, such as patio sets and grills. They're taking on smaller home improvement projects. In the fiscal first quarter, colder weather and falling lumber prices hurt sales. It's the biggest revenue miss for Home Depot in 20 years, and it lowered its forecast for the year. 
It expects sales to decline between 2 and 5% for the fiscal year. It previously thought there would be flat sales. The state of the homeowner is that they're healthy. They have healthy balance sheets. They have healthy incomes, he, uh, the CFO s- said. But I do think, and our professional customers tell us what they hear from their customers, there's this shift, even if it's temporary, from larger projects into smaller ones. Why? Because they can't afford them. Costs are up. It's the second quarter in a row Home Depot missed Wall Street's expectations. Sales trends are better among do-it-yourself customers than professionals. In other words, that means that people are trying to do more and more of the projects themselves because they won't have to pay people. They want to try to keep costs down. All of that suggests inflation is still having a problem, even as the inflation rate goes down. Remember, folks, this is really important and gets lost in the conversation. If inflation is at 8% and then it's at 2%, it still means that prices are going up. They're just not going up as quickly. It doesn't mean prices ever came back down. That's a real problem, a, a huge problem. Customer transactions at Home Depot dropped 5% in the first quarter. Their spending was flat. Interest rates are still going up. Banks are having more and more turmoil. You know, we can laugh about John Fetterman and, and the question to the Silicon Valley bank guy, but there are a number of regional banks in the country that are starting to have problems or could potentially have problems. Now, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name names because when I do, inevitably someone works at one of these banks. We had a situation a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about the the banks that were at risk of closing, and I didn't even mention a particular bank, but someone at the bank misheard and thought I had said something about that bank, told the CEO, and the CEO called my boss upset that I was talking down the bank. I didn't even know the bank existed. I never said it, but people are really sensitive in, in... in the banking sector right now. But there are some banks out there that are so into commercial real estate that that have heavily, heavily uh, funded the loans for commercial real estate. And guess what? People aren't going back to the office. And commercial real estate is having problems, and that's going to have problems for the banks when the commercial realtors have problems paying their loans back. We're headed into some serious economic times. And on top of all of that, you got the debt ceiling. And Congress cannot figure out what to do about the debt ceiling. Congress, uh, they're trying to get the White House. Mitch McConnell came out and said only the House representatives has raised the debt ceiling. The Senate Democrats have done nothing. So Kevin McCarthy needs to get together with Joe Biden. You heard uh, John Fetterman, if you could make out uh, the, the slight coherence there, about Republicans want to put more work requirements in for welfare programs. The Democrats say no way, but but Joe Biden seems open to adding more work requirements. He voted for it in the 90s with Bill Clinton. So why wouldn't he be? Part of the issue. Y'all, I am not the person to give you financial advice because I kind of suck at managing my finances. But I will tell you, though I suck, uh, trying to spend less and save more. Trying not to use credit cards, paying off credit cards. I actually um, was able to pay off a credit card. We have a line of credit on our house because we've got some home improvements we need to do. The purpose of a 
home uh, home equity line of credit. But I'm telling you, be careful out there with your spending right now because the economy is starting to turn. When Home Depot has two quarters in a row of declines and missed Wall Street estimates the worst in 20 years, that's a big red flag for the economy. You couple that with the first story I talked about, about consumers holding more debt and putting more on their credit cards. This is a disaster waiting to happen economically for this country. Be responsible, slow down your spending, save more. That's what you need to do. It's a great way to tell you about Advantage Gold because if you're interested at all in using precious metals as part of your retirement, they can help you. 800-450-2566. That's Advantage Gold's phone number. They're TrustLink's highest rated uh, gold company seven years in a row. Uh, I mean, right now, let me look. The Dow is down about 300 points right now. We've had a topsy-turvy market. you got all this political turmoil around the world. You've got inflation. you got the interest rates. Gold and silver might be something you can use to add stability to your portfolio. Advantage Gold can help you and answer your questions. 800-450-2566. If you have any interest at all in precious metals, let Advantage Gold help you. They're not very gimmicky. They don't want to do a hard sales pitch on you. They just want to help you answer your questions, and they can provide you access to gold and silver, like physical gold and silver that you can then add to your portfolio, uh, and they can give you the rules. They give you a free IRA gold investment kit, uh, which tells you the rules on how you have to store your precious metals as part of an IRA or a 401k. The IRS is pretty particular about them. All you do is go to 800-450-2566. Tell them I sent you. That's 800-450-2566. If anything, just get the free gold IRA investment kit from Advantage Gold, 800-450-2566. Yes, you should get it all. Uh, Text the word ERIC to 33777. If you want to be on the program, you can uh, text, uh, you can call 877-973-7425. I want to have a serious, serious moment. Uh, I, I got an I got an email yesterday uh, from the OK Boomer file, and I gotta I gotta read you the question or gotta read you the email. Uh, this is from a lady. I looked her up. She's in her seventies. Yesterday, I said that it, it's hard to have a rational conversation about Donald Trump with a lot of his hardcore supporters and. She writes, I've been listening uh, to your station for a very long time. I go back as far as when the station carried Sean Hannity. I was never fond of Eric. He abuses his faith to cover up for his socialism. He's no more than a D.C. rhino. I'm writing because I'm tired of hearing him put down us who like President Trump. But let me first address his enamored love affair with Brian Kemp. The only reason Brian Kemp won in 2022 is because our candidate lost the primary. Duh! And Kemp was the lesser of two evils against the communist Abrams. So stop saying how Kemp won in spite of Trump. Trump supporters had no other choice. So you mean he won in spite of Trump? (laughs) President Trump's policies took this country forward worldwide after eight horrible years of Obama and his people like Eric that helped lose the election in 2020. You've insulted me and my intelligence today for the last time. Your Trump litany is not factual. Actually, I cited the sources and the data. And neither is your opinion of President Trump's supporters. We do, I am open to other candidates if they put USA on track as well as Donald Trump did. We do think at times President Trump made mistakes. The biggest one around the pandemic, he trusted leadership like Pence and the fascist Fauci. We think he listened to the wrong voices. Oh, so he's going to get it right this time. Most newly elected presidents clean house. He did not. Big mistake. 
President Trump thought loyalty counts, but he did not realize it doesn't in D.C. and certainly not like in a corporate world. Me and my family and friends are open to those running in the primary. Not Nikki Haley, though. Love her, but not for Prince. <laughs> May I suggest go back to Dubai. That seems to suit you better than USA. Kind regards and one who has great respect for President Donald Trump. A listener for the last time since she's still listening. I do have room for a new listener. We will use our connections to make sure that uh, the radio signal messes up for her. Now, she's in, in, in her 70s. It is an okay boomer message. But even her email there is filled with contradictions. I do have to say, though, I, I, I do wonder. And this is something I can't get a read on from is from people like this. If the election in 2020 was stolen, how is Donald Trump going to keep it from being stolen this time? He's already come out and says he does not support early voting, does not think Republicans should fund absentee ballot collections. He thinks everybody should do it on the same day. Okay. Okay. What are you going to do to stop the election from being stolen? Republicans control Arizona. They don't now. Michigan, they don't now. Pennsylvania, part of it. They don't anymore now. In Georgia, you got Raffensburger still. You got the DeKalb County and Fulton County Board of Elections. How, if you're a Trump supporter, do you stop it from being stolen? Trump was president and couldn't be, get it stopped from stolen, and Obama or Biden is president now. And nobody can seem to answer that question. Just go with Trump again and expect different results. That sounds like insanity.